BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports is reporting that Jason McIntyre, the big lead himself, will be the co-host on The Herd with Colin Coward when Fox unveils its new fall lineup coming any day. By the way, I am refreshing my TV guide trying to break this story. I don't know if that's ethical. First and foremost, congratulations to Jason if that is, in fact, true. It's a monumental rise. He started this site in 2006, anonymously, worked his ass off, but the fact that he could be sitting with Coward five days a week, 15 years, after the famous flood of 2007, when Coward, then of ESPN Radio, sent an influx of traffic to the site, took it down, took it offline, forced it to be moved from Romanian servers to something that could handle higher bandwidth he got in trouble i'm looking right now at an espn ombudsman column from leanne schreiber remember the espn ombudsman bring it back here's a line in that column some of the politer terms my correspondents used to describe coward's behavior were immature irresponsible arrogant malicious destructive and dumb i agree chef's kiss But all these years later, Colin extended the olive branch. Those two smoothed it over, and they have great chemistry on screen. And honestly, it's a really great thing. But it got me thinking, my career not going as great as I would like it to go right now. Um, 15 years from now, I will be 53. So I guess it's time to start a feud with someone. I dare anybody out there. Let me say it like this. I dare any popular sports media personality to flood the big lead with traffic this morning. I, you don't have the guts, the stones, the gall. You don't have it in you. Stephen A. Smith, you're backing down from the moment. Mad Dog, you won't do it. Florio, can't do it. Dan Patrick, forget about it. Levitard, on vacation. But if one of you want to use wants get in a real tiff a row a donnybrook a dust up anything of that vein who knows 
15 years from now, we could find ourselves working together. It's a circle of life, a beautiful thing. And now we bring in Ryan Phillips, writer at TheBigLead.com, San Diegan, Padres fan. I have a simple question for you. What the hell is going on with Fernando Tatis Jr.? Uh, wow, that's that's just such a loaded question to start, Kyle. Uh, I, I think, you know, for the last year, there's really been a split between the team and the player. And this, this dates back to last season when he had a shoulder injury uh, that popped up and he'd had shoulder trouble for a while and then it got worse and he kept landing on it and, and popping it out. At the, you know, it was just decided in the middle of the season, Hey, he's going to have to have surgery on this. We'll strengthen as much as we can. And hopefully it doesn't pop out again. And Tatis just decided against team advice at the end of the year, he didn't want to have surgery. He wanted to do physical therapy on it and strengthen it. So it didn't do it again, but he didn't want to undergo the surgery. And that was sort of the beginning of this divide between the team and the player. And then the off season, he had this, he had this motorcycle accident uh, that they down, he and his father both downplayed. Turns out he broke his wrist uh, and was not sort of forthcoming about it. I think some of that was misrelayed due to the lockout and he couldn't come in and see a team doctor and all that. But there, there was just sort of a, what are you doing? He shows up at spring training, has a broken wrist, needs surgery. And then while he's recovering, he goes back to the Dominican Republic and he comes back, and, and apparently in July, he tests positive for performance-enhancing drugs. And I think the Padres at that point were fed up with what they perceived as a, a kid who got a huge $340 million contract and didn't grow up. And, and I think that there was a divide. I think when that happened, when that positive test happened, the Padres were very much like, we're, we're kind of over this. Uh, this, this, you know, not over the player because you, it, you know, you're not going to trade that guy and get equal value. He's an incredible talent, and they want him. But I think they were over the attitude. And over the last week, just talking to people uh, around the uh, around the the franchise, they sat. He sat down with the general manager, Jake Preller. Sat down with the owner, Peter Seidler. Sort of assured them that I know I need to grow up. I know this has been really bad, and I I realized I almost lost my career due to this. And he then addressed his teammates yesterday and they all accepted what he said. It was pretty unanimous that, you know, they, they saw remorse. They saw a kid who clearly had made a mistake. And then I, you know, he addressed the media and I, I saw that press conference and I wrote about it on the site. I, I think it was one of the few times a guy has tested positive for something and immediately come out, not immediately, you know, it took a week or whatever, but it came out and actually looked like, he was showing contrition as opposed to deny and avoid and all this. Now, how he tested positive, there are people with the Padres I have talked to who believe his story, that he took it accidentally. Uh, one of them said, look, that what he tested positive for is not something you would take to bulk up. It's something you would take maybe for some recovery or maybe to gain some lean muscle. But it's not one of those where wind straw, where you just want to get huge. It, it's not what you would take for that. And in the Dominican Republic, you know, anabolic steroids are – in a lot of stuff that are not in here and they're not regulated the same way. And they believe his story that he took something inadvertently. Uh, there are people who will never believe that understandably. There are uh, fans who will never forgive him. There are opposing players who will never forgive him completely understandably, but really what's important is what's going on in that room and what's going on with that team. And, and it appears that he's, he's taken the first steps to sort of gain that trust back. And part of that is he's agreed to finally get the shoulder surgery that he's needed for over a year. So, 
it's been a really weird 10 days to to be following the Padres uh, because especially because they just got Juan Soto. They're in the middle of this playoff chase. And now the star of their franchise is going to be, you know, excised from the team for, for 80 games and for what's essentially going to be six months. Well, news of the 14 year, $340 million contract was pretty seismic because both length and size somewhat unprecedented he's in many ways an unprecedented player but part of that money has to come with the expectation and the understanding that you are going to be the franchise quarterback so what i'm having a hard time understanding is you mentioned that it's been pretty crazy and wild and embarrassing and maybe redemptive 10 days were there concerns before this contract was offered to me it seems like you have to be pretty secure offering that type of money up to someone who up to that point hadn't shown signs of wanting to be that leader. The personality was always the same. There's always this, he's going to do things his own way from the outside. It seems like he doesn't want to acknowledge his mistakes. Then you bring the father figure in who kind of plays an outsized impact on his life or maybe a normal size impact as fathers do. And he's uniquely situated because he has that history with major league baseball. To me, it seemed like there were a lot of red flags on the table and it wasn't entirely necessary for them to commit to this amount of time. And I wrote at the time that it was probably going to be not a good contract when all was said and done. And that's with the caveat that he's not going to stay healthy all the time. We've already seen that. And then how does he morph as a player and does he bring that element of where you're going to be the face of the franchise when you sign for that amount of money, even if you don't want it, you have to be that leader. You have to assume that role and the inability to grasp that right from the bat, I think to me is a really, really large concern. I guess I'm trying to figure out how shocked were the Padres that it has come to this so quickly. So I think with that country, a lot of what you said is right about him. I, th- I think he's a kid who coming up, I mean, look, the way he grew up, I don't think he got told no. A lot. You know, I don't, I don't think he was a guy who had incredible discipline. He's an incredibly hard worker, they say. He, he's obsessed with getting better. He works hard, all of that. Padres saw that and saw how he performs on the field, how he handled himself with the media and things like that. And I think they saw the elements of somebody who could grow into that. And, and I think that they also felt like they had some cover by having Manny Machado, who has become a tremendous leader with the Padres. I know he's had his reputation in the past, but in that locker room, he is treated, and, and quite frankly, by other players around the league, is treated in almost a revered status with the way he handles himself. And I think they had some cover there that Fernando didn't have to be the leader immediately. He could sort of grow into that with this big brother kind of guiding him. And and another guy who was a good live guy was Eric Hosmer. Well, his play on the field was terrible. I think they felt like those two guys could kind of help elevate him to that status. Um, I, I do think there were concerns about, you know, sometimes, you know, the way he did things and and and, and things like that. He was a little, little wild. But I also think they thought, look, he's 22. He's, this isn't is a 14 year contract. We might get two, three years of him sort of, you know, figuring himself out, but then he's going to be a grown up. And, uh, but I don't think they saw it going to this degree, obviously. The, the three straight things of the, the shoulder, not, not repairing the shoulder, which you can't force a guy who doesn't want to get surgery to get surgery. It doesn't matter if, it, you know, 
if the big lead wants me to get something done, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to go to my, my own doctor for that. Like, you know, it's, you can't force that. And, um, but then the, the, the motorcycle accident, there was a video of him driving in a car really fast. Like, you know, there's just these things that started popping up. And I think, do I think they regret the contract? Not yet. I don't think we're at that point yet, but I think they're sort of looking at it like, this could go one of two ways. And, and I think entering this past week where they were meeting with him finally, I think this could have gone one of two ways. And they were within their rights after the motorcycle accident to void his contract. And they chose not to do that because, I mean, obviously, again, the player is unique. The player is special. And the talent is something akin to an all-time type talent. Uh, but you got to act the right way and you got to handle yourself the right way for that to be realized. So, there's a, nobody knows what's going to happen. That's the other thing is nobody's nobody's thinking. Well, he's contrite and all this. All of a sudden, he's going to be back to being an MVP candidate next year. Nobody knows what's going to happen. It's sort of an unprecedented situation for a guy that young to get a contract, and then for a guy that young to have these issues combined. Those two things, and it's also sort of an unprecedented thing for two guys like Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis to be 23 years old and be in the same lineup too. So there's a lot going on here that we don't know what's going to happen. And it really is a fascinating situation. The Padres fan is maddening. It's crazy. It's something that I don't want to deal with. I just want that player back into the lineup. But at the same time, uh, it is pretty much, it is going to be very interesting to see how he handles himself, especially this off season. He's going to be in San Diego for most of it. He's not going back to the Dominican Republic where I think a lot of those bad influences on him are. And he's going to be spending his time in town rehabbing. And I think that'll probably be good for him. And it'll be just interesting to see how this all plays out and if he does elevate back to the player he was. Yeah, he's a wild card. That's very much so. Charlie Day and always sunny right now. You don't know what he's going to do. And I would go back to the point that that's not who you want your biggest financial investment to be. It's already done. It can't be undone. At this point, obviously, you're not going to cut bait. Obviously, nothing drastic is going to happen right now. What has been the fan reaction to this? Because while we don't know the future, the long-term future of Tatis, here's something that's true. This is the Padres' window this year. They have a chance to win the World Series. If Tatis was able to get on the field, he would certainly help in that endeavor. So there's no doubt that he has taken one of the precious few years he's ever going to have to win a World Series and advance deep into the playoffs and basically just thrown it away. So how are fans reacting to that reality without giving up total hope? Because even without him, they have the talent. If they can figure out a way to get past the Dodgers in the playoffs with some great pitching, you never know it's baseball. Anything can happen. Hope is not lost, but it seems like you guys are kind of like in this purgatory where you're deeply conflicted about a bunch of stuff going on. You're not too angry about it. You're a little bit angry about it, but you want to keep your eyes on the prize. I think when the news came out, people were extremely upset. You know, the, the universal was frustration, anger, all that, because he's already missed most of the season by a dumb mistake. And he let the team down. He let the fans down by that motorcycle accident, hurting himself and not following through the proper channels and all of that. Um, and then he was literally about to come back. He was in the middle of his rehab assignment. He was maybe five days from debuting and I think he would have gotten a hero's welcome when he debuted and then this happens and I think it was a lot of anger a lot of frustration because you're right after getting Juan Soto and and Josh Bell and Brandon Drury and you know Josh Hader if he ever figures out how to throw a strike 
Like, you know, you get those guys and you think, wow, we just went from like playoff team to contender like that. And especially with Tatis coming, that's almost like making another deadline trade to get him back. And then when that falls apart, you're, you're just a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. Uh, I think that it has evolved over the last week to be still frustrated. Um, the explanation, I think a lot of people are, are buying that it was incidental, that it was accidental. This guy's been tested since he was 17 and never had anything happen, never had any rumors of anything happening. And, and this happened. So I think a lot of people, but I think at the same time, even with the, it, even if it was accidental, I think a lot of people were like, dude, you just have to like, understand what you're putting in your body, get it cleared by the team. They're there for that reason. You know, so I think there's still frustration. Um, I think there is a willingness to forgive, you know, if he, if he handles the right thing. I think after the press conference yesterday, that was, there was a lot of people saying like, Hey, you know what? He's our guy. You know, he, he, he looks like he's sorry. Apologize to everybody, you know, get back, get healthy and, and, and we'll be back. And, and I think that's kind of where we're at now. I think there's some people who are going to be angry at him forever. There's some people who, we're kind of like, well, whatever. And, and I think there is that that main stretch of people who is willing to forgive and willing to welcome him back if they see the progress that he is saying is going to happen. And and, and I, I will say, you know, over the last year, that guy's star, he's seen it fall. And that does one of two things. Either you get defiant and keep acting the same way, or it wakes you up and you become an adult. And it's a lot to put on the plate of a 23 year old before all this happened. And now it's there. And I think that it's a chance to be your own guy, get out of the shadow of your dad and your, and your family and those people around you and wake up and be an adult and take responsibility for your actions. Those are the two ways you can go. And, and, and if he goes one way, I think he's going to have an incredible career and be a hall of fame type talent. If he goes the other, I think he's going to be a cautionary tale. And I don't think there's a middle ground. I think it's one. He's going to go one way or the other, and and the way he's acted the last couple of days feels like okay. He knows that is the right path. Whether he follows through on it, that's up to him. Yeah, it's interesting because it's baseball. When this story broke, I mean, it was big, but it, you know, let's put it in the context of it being basketball or being football. I mean, this would be monumental. You're talking about like an MVP candidate who's just tested positive for breaking the rules. And on top of that has all that baggage. It would be like if, you know, I used the analogy the other day, Johnny Menzel didn't have the talent, but if Johnny Menzel had been the most, the most talented quarterback in that draft class, there still would have been some balking at handing him the keys and being like, this is the franchise. And we're in the era of athletes, especially in the NBA, kind of these mercurial stars and I think that generationally it's something to keep an eye on in baseball too, because it's only a matter of time until there's some cross-pollination. Baseball is much different in the sense that it's collective, that it's very team, that it kind of hammers yeah. the individual down. We've talked about it at length about how that's a detriment in promoting stars. But I think ultimately it's a good thing because you are a tighter knit team. And it's not like other sports because you need – through the course of a season, 45 players to win a championship. It's not just one, like the, the best player is not going to go out there and dominate every game or at least put up like, you know, Tatis could go 0 for 12 in a three game yes. series. It's possible. LeBron James is always going to get to 20 points, seven rebounds or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a known commodity. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting story to keep an eye on because given 
the questions about how he's going to react to this. Yes, it could channel him and be a wake up call and a needed one. And, it, and it'd be good that it happened sooner rather than later, but it could expediate kind of the spinoff. And then you're stuck with this huge cautionary tale as you've all seen, like contracts are already kind of going the other way in baseball, you know, like as a reaction to Tease, it was like, you know what, why don't we give Scherzer two years for 50 million? You know, like, and I know yep. it's different because he's older, but it's just like, why don't we reassess? Because teams are not feeling confident in putting their entire future in one person's hands, even Agreed. if they are this transcendent player. So it'll be really interesting to see if some of that crosses over. Do you have any concerns? Had you thought about that before? Well, that maybe we're I'll... kind of seeing the first test case of the new yeah. Generation Z baseball player? Well, and one thing I, I would say is, something that a lot of people have pointed out San Diego is technically it's a large city, but it's a small market because it's boxed in by Los Angeles, Orange County. Uh, there's a desert to the East where nobody lives and then Mexico. And so it's, it's a very small media market given that it's a 3 million, you know, population is about 3 million, but the ownership has acted like it's not a small market team. They're willing to invest and it's, it's proven successful because if you look at that ballpark it's almost it's packed almost every night uh, despite even some struggles here you know they're i think they're fifth in attendance for a small market team which is incredible uh, and so they have been deciding hey we're gonna lock guys up and, and and the tatis thing was we have this player who is more talented than any athlete in san diego history we are going to it's like him and dave winfield basically we're not going to let him go a couple of years and then decide to go somewhere else in free agency or demand a trade or, or whatever, like a lot of times happens to these smaller market teams to go to New York or LA or wherever. They said, this kid likes us. He likes being here. He has made it known. They were going to go with like a seven-year contract. And Tati said, I want to be here the rest of my career. Let's do that. And so it was his idea. And because they didn't think that was possible, essentially. And so they locked him up to this long-term deal, basically marrying the franchise to him. They've also, you know, Manny Machado got 10 years of $300 million. They, they, they went all in on their farm system to get Juan Soto. And if you talk to people with the Padres, they are very confident that they can give Juan Soto a long-term contract to keep him in San Diego. So they are doing – they are acting like I think fans want their ownership to act. They're not penny pinching. They're going after highly talented players and they're going all in to try and win. Whether that works or not, it's certainly up for debate. You've seen the Angels invest a lot in players and fail miserably. Who knows if it works? But it, it I think the bad part of this is, is it's going to send a message to other owners that maybe don't do that. Maybe don't try and win for your fans immediately. Maybe go with the slow build and let your players walk and get dra get younger players and all that. What what's been going on essentially? Maybe the Pittsburgh model to make money is a little bit better than going all in like San Diego. I think it's bad for baseball, quite frankly. I like when teams say, "Hey, we're one player away. Let's go get them." I like when teams have a young player and don't say, "Well, we got a seven year clock before we have to trade him," like the Nationals did with Juan Soto. So yeah, I think that it, it sends the wrong message if things go bad with Tatis and that's an individual situation, but I have to, I do have to kind of appreciate what the Padres were trying to do here. And that's why I think I hope it works out, not just for the Padres, but for baseball that, that, you know, locking up your hometown talent 
going out and getting star talent and importing them to a city they normally wouldn't go to necessarily is great for baseball. I really think it is. And so, yeah, there, there are concerns about how this is going to turn out. You're right. Uh, it could be a cautionary tale. It could be a, a, the next, you know, great talent who fell off the map. But, man, I hope it works out because, because I think it will be better for baseball if, if this does work out and if the Padres model, which will never be league-wide, but maybe it convinces a few teams to try and operate differently. And, and I think that would be great for fans and fan engagement. Because I'm feeling a bit guilty about bumming you out a little bit <laughs> rehashing this, it seems like Padres ownership can do no wrong in the eyes of Padres fans because some important context for this is having suffered through the Chargers experience, which was so raw and was the exact opposite. It has to be so welcome for fans to see someone actually go for it and try to win. So they'll always be graded on a curve, even if all these moves and all this assembly of talent doesn't work. I can tell you, I just saw a note about top three pitchers who have taken no hitters through six innings. And it's Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Annabelle Sanchez. And they were all on the 2013 Detroit Tigers. So there's one thing to win a championship on paper. It's harder to do in reality, but what's it been like to kind of see this 180 in terms of the way a sports team can be operated? Well, and I think that it's not just the Chargers. Dean Spanos legitimately maybe a top three worst ownership group in all of sports for decades. And penny pinching and, and basically built the city out of millions of dollars every year and then decided to take off. And I've written about that extensively on the site, folks. Just type in Ryan Phillips Chargers. You'll find it. But I think what, what gets lost, too, is the Padres for a long time we're penny pinching as well because they're like, we don't have enough revenue. We need a new stadium. They got a new stadium. Okay. Well, they were never going after top tier players. They were always trading guys who they had developed to get a bunch of players who hopefully would fill more spots. I mean, they, and they famously made some great trades like landing Adrian Gonzalez, who had fallen out of favor with the Rangers. He becomes an all-star. Well, guess what? After a few years, they trade Adrian Gonzalez. And, and that was sort of, we were recyclers. And, and, and I felt like, the Potters were the development arm of a lot of other franchises. And now it's, it's switched and the Padres are the ones going out and getting, getting players. And they're not concerned with every dollar. They went into the luxury tax two years in a row in San Diego. And it's just, it is staggering and different. And you're right. These guys can do no wrong because the effort is there. And San Diego hasn't had a lot of effort from owners, from ownership in a long time. Uh, and so you see this, commitment to trying to do the right thing and trying to win and being willing to spend on international prospects and being willing to to spend on free agents and to take talent that they've developed and trade them for a you darvish for a for a blake snell who finally seems to be turning around to go get mike clevenger you know i mean these are all big bold moves that you see contenders make and they're acting like they expect to contend acting like they expect to win and acting like they can play with the big boys uh, as far as trades and, and, and free agency and all of that, that is not something San Diego has ever experienced. And so they are very, Peter Seidler's very revered in this town and always will be, I think, because he basically has said, I care about winning. I don't care about the bottom line. I want to win games and I want to win a championship for the city. That makes all the difference in the world to the fan, just to have that commitment and that desire to go try and win one 
as much as he wants it as much as the fans want it, which is, you know, so nice to see being from this city that has never won a major sports championship. I mean, look, we, we dominate indoor soccer. We got the best indoor soccer franchise ever, but that's about it. And so it is, it is different. It is unique for the city. And, uh, and, and the Silers are definitely revered and always will be. Uh, that sound you heard was grasping for straws when yes. you're bringing up indoor soccer. The soccer's baby. Watched them all the time growing up. <laughs> all right, break here. All right, let's talk about my favorite topic, the PGA Tour versus Live Golf. Monumental movement today with the PGA announcing uh, really amounts to broad and significant changes to pacify some of their top players who met in a players-only meeting last week. They'll have 12 elevated events next year with intentions to expand to 16 in the coming seasons, larger purses, and the PIP bonus pool will be rising to $100 million, up from $50 million. Coming along with this, there will be an earnings assurance program, meaning that players who miss cuts are not really getting nothing for their travel fees, which is a real issue. This is an unbelievable response. It comes in concert with Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods announcing plans for a tech-heavy golf league, which will be playing primetime Monday events. Seismic changes. Um, I can't wait to hear how this is a good day for Live Golf because the PGA Tour is scared. Uh yeah, I, I do think that everything we hear now about PGA versus live is is live heavy because I think that that's people want to love or hate that tour. And I think most people kind of hate it. And we always got to hear the reaction. And there's always sort of a sort of a devil's uh, devil on the shoulder of everyone talking about that. And, and um, I do think these are bold moves from the PGA and probably long overdue. I think that, uh, that the players would say, especially the ones who left would say, yeah, this is what we wanted all along. Well, guess what guys, you can't come back. And and that was the other thing that was declared today is those guys who were suspended are not coming back. And it feels like that's the only move the PGA has is to make sure those guys don't come back because otherwise people could go over for a few year dalliance and then come back and make their money and come back and, I think it's the right move as far as that goes. Um, but as for the moves today, I, I think it's it's a really smart decision by the PGA to do this quickly, not take an off season to sort of hash it out, but to get this done quickly, show the flag, show that, hey, no, we want people here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to appease the players to this degree. We're going to add more. We're going to do this. And honestly, I think that part of the reason this gets done is strong leadership from guys like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. Those guys really have taken the ball and run with it as far as sort of being the faces of, of the movement along with, you know, Jordan Spieth and some other guys who've been very vocal about this. Uh, I think that's how you combat this is with strong unity and with bold moves to improve the product. And the idea that all of the top players are going to sign up to play in these events is enormous because there are times you watch an event on the weekend and you're just like, all right, which five players are playing in this one? You know, it's, it's as opposed to, I want to watch all these guys play at once and compete with us. Really the only time that happens is at majors. And so the idea that these guys are all going to sign up to 
compete in the, in a, I don't remember what the number was, but there's a handful of these tournaments that all these guys are going to play. In. And it's tw- okay. It's 20. Well, they're all going to play in 20. They, they're all agreeing to play in 20, but there's like 12 where they're all going to show up. That's pretty massive that they're all going to be at the same tournaments now. Um, so yeah, I think it's a major move. I think it's a, a smart move and I think it's exactly what the sport needs. Yeah, the reason why I was saying I can't wait to hear why this is a good day for Live Golf, I was being facetious. Everybody knows my position on it. But so the thought process is, yeah, okay, well, you force the PGA to make these changes that is only going to make it stronger. You have codified leadership at the top. I mean, you can say what you want about Jay Monahan, but really the impetus and the driver of this is Tiger Woods, the most famous athlete of our lifetime arguably, and like 20 superstars that everybody likes that have decided to take agency in their tour. So I don't really understand, like if iron sharpens iron, you're just making the other one stronger. So I, it's like a, if a football team instills fear by blitzing all the time and the other side figures out, okay, we're just going to throw in screen passes. Yes, you can say, hey, we took them out of their game plan. We're forcing them to do something that they didn't want to do. Well, if it's successful, who cares? Like the PGA is going to be a better product going forward. This announcement of the Rory Woods thing, okay? That's the idea that it's going to take place in two hours and be in prime time and be easily digestible and they'll have no problem finding a marquee broadcast partner as opposed to the live tour. It's like beating them at their own game in addition to having the glossy kind of, yeah. tour. It's like- you kind of like poke the bear. And to me, it's just the thought that Liv didn't consider that the PGA would have some chess moves of their own is unbelievable to me, but I almost kind of believe it considering like the slapdash nature of how everything is thrown together and like the long-term planning, which doesn't seem to exist. Miscalculation after miscalculation. And the biggest miscalculation of all continues to be players who for some reason, and maybe they're blinded by all the upfront money, but not seeing down the road a few years, if they miscalculate and this league live fails and they can't come back to play on the one true golf tour, they will have thrown their careers away. And I give Jay Monahan all the credit in the world, because like you said, it's the only way to deal with this issue. First of all, you have to stop the league. You have to get players. You may, you have to force them to be like, this is something I really want to do because I'm playing with my entire career and making this move and how anybody can be confident enough in their entire career now to be like, I'm going to turn my back on the PGA, which has existed forever and will continue to exist forever in some form or fashion for this new thing is just mind blowing. And part of me feels kind of bad rooting for the failures of some of the golfers that I, I like watching play, but to me, it just boils down to what's going to be best for the sport. And I think everything associated with live is a detriment to the sport as a whole, including this civil war, which they touched off. And I don't believe that they're going to ultimately win. Yeah. What's really interesting about live. And I was talking to a friend about this who golfs every day, loves the tour, watches golf every weekend. I was like, I'm not sure live is even interested in, having a successful product like it almost just feels like they're putting this on to do it to show that they can do it but i don't know that they're invested in 
being a success financially or from any perspective. It almost just feels, as you said, very slapdash and like, let's just do this thing and see what happens. I don't know if there's any thought being put into every move. I mean, they're expending so much money. They're never going to make the money back that they're expending. There's, there's zero chance of that happening. But, I, you know, you look at the rules, you look at the, the play, you look at this, you look at that. And it's like, do they even care if people watch? Do they even care if they win? Are they really trying to beat the PGA? Or are they just trying to be this separate thing that's almost like, you know, it's almost like softball compared to baseball. Like, it's not the same thing almost. It's kind of goofy and it's, it, I'm not sure they care. I really am not. It makes me wonder if they're just laundering money or something. Like, I, like it doesn't look like they really care about putting a successful product. And like you said, the consequence of, them existing and some of the moves they made if there were this small thing that built over time maybe you have a chance to gain some viewership and gain some players and gain this and gain that but they threw it all in up front and that caused the reaction you're seeing now from the pga which ultimately could lead to the demise of the thing that began uh to challenge the pga so I, I agree with you. I just think it's it's so confusing what's going on and what they're trying to do. And I have I have no idea what the end game is for LIV, and they don't seem to know, or at least they're not telling us. Amazon will broadcast its first regular season game as an exclusive NFL rights holding network on September 15th. It is a rare moment for everyone involved. NFL rights rarely change hands, and new companies almost never enter the arena. But for the first time in a long time, this football season will bring an entirely new broadcast to viewers. It won't be too new, of course. There will be football shown on screen. Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, capped to be the first Amazon broadcasting booth, are familiar faces and voices. Producer Fred Godelli spent years bringing the comforting Sunday night football production to our screens. But Amazon has a unique chance to make its mark. The Amazon crew has been working on what is effectively a blank canvas. That's quite rare in the broadcasting industry. On top of it all, the games will be broadcast on a streaming service, which offers its own set of challenges and advantages. Al Michael spoke to the big lead this week about the opportunity in front of himself and the rest of the team. He reiterated that it will be a football broadcast above all else, but acknowledged the chance to introduce new twists. Number one, we're excited. It's different, he said. As I said before, we look at ourselves as pioneers. But then again, we all have experience. We all understand how the business works, how a television production is put on. But it's not about reinventing the wheel. Every year, people have asked on calls like this, what are you guys going to do that's different? And I always thought the better question is, what are you guys going to do that makes it better? You don't reinvent the wheel, you tweak it. You add certain things, you add elements as the season goes on. This echoes the attitude of Goodelli when answering questions about the Amazon broadcast he's responsible for putting together. It will, at its core, be a football broadcast, and there's no reason to change anything dramatically. But Amazon plans to add the little things that can enhance viewing experiences, primarily through the sort of technology available only to a streaming platform. Above all, the team sounds extremely confident headed into its first season together.
All right, it's that time of the week again. The only place on the internet discussing the International Baseball League of West Michigan for now. Uh, I've heard scuttlebutt that ESPN and Fox Sports are poking around. They want the rights. This league is really exploding. And I have a special guest today, a big get, as they say. It's Lendy Sosa. (laughs) I could go through all the accolades you've earned in this league, but I think what I'll say right here is, of all the people I face, you're probably the one who scares me the most because you take such a ferocious swing. I've been burned before. I've gotten you out sometimes. I think that I've yeah. been happy with my success against you. But every now and again, you turn around on one and just hit a screamer in the gap that has an exit velo of about 110. He's the manager of the Mariners. I think you're in your 10th or 11th year in the league and once again you guys are competing for a playoff spot have aspirations of making the playoffs and advancing deep it's kind of become a regularity for you so thanks for joining me let's talk some ball oh thank you for um for the accolades i i didn't really expect um all that much i um and and honestly i gotta say you just pick pitch one of the the biggest games we've we played against um, the Cubs and it's a year after year. So I would give you props, man. You, you got the bulldog mentality. It's like, you, you, you think, all right, today we're going to have a great game. And then once that game starts, it's like, what happened with our plan? You know? So uh, I got to give it to you. It's, um, it's one of those things you control the tempo, you control the game. It, it, you're, you're one of our toughest um, competitors for sure. So, so thank you for that. It makes us, try to go one one step um, higher every, every year. So We've had some wars, and a lot of those yeah. have happened in the playoffs. And I think we can just start right there. I think that it's so fun to play against you two. I think that it's one of the better rivalries in the league because it does seem like it never gets out of hand. Like, I think that we have – there's so much friendship between the two teams. It's cool yeah, that we're yeah. always up there. And you guys always rise to the occasion. And I think looking at this year, I'll say what I've been saying on the podcast all year is up until last week, when you guys were leading the other division, going for the number one seed, which you still have a chance to get. I'm a little bit surprised because when we played you guys, I don't know if it was just a bad day, if my stuff was working particularly well that day, but we handled you fairly easily, but you've obviously been all year to put yourself in position to accomplish the goals you want to accomplish what has this year been like for you as I know that you've kind of rebuilt the roster more this year than you have in years past yeah you know with our uh, with our roster it's been um like all all most of um the uh, the, the teams we play on on this league you know there's that um inconsistency um but we've been pretty I'm pretty lucky we've had uh, a pretty consistent core. Um, uh, going back to that, that game you mentioned, we, we were missing a couple of players, but um, we, we just didn't execute our plan. And, and I think with the roster we have, if, if the core keeps showing up, we have a, a pretty good chance of, of being, you know, one of the top teams, the best team, one of the best teams um, on the league. So um, I, I just think we got to stay consistent with our core but then again we're all grown we all have our families we look forward to to that um friendship and 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 games on sundays 
but all in all, we, we have our families. And, and I think um, if we stay, if our core stays together, we have a, a pretty good chance of, of um, being right there, the top two teams um, when it comes to the finals. And that's what we're, we're shooting for. So it's two things, right? It's like you can look at it from one perspective and say that it's easy to stay on top of this league because established teams are always going to have the advantage over teams who are just getting their footing and looking to build on success. Yeah. And we've seen that with like what the White Sox have done this year. But the other side of that is people get older. And we were just discussing before I press record on this, all the stuff we have going on with our family as we're both getting yeah. into our late thirties here and kind of the core of the Cubs and the core of the Mariners is aging out a little bit where it's kind of like, it becomes a year round thing where you have to stay in shape because we have all the young bucks in the league. We don't want to fall off. So there is that element of roster retention as players get a little bit older and have precious little time but I'm curious is it the same over there it is with the Cubs where it's all this collective buy-in where it's like you have one goal every single year and you take the sting of the previous one I mean if we don't win the championship we see it as a failure and I would say from the outside that's kind of the same position that you guys have been in and in the last four years that I've been in the league you've been very close but you haven't been able to climb that mountaintop does that just make you hungrier and more committed to the team it does. It does. We um we've been very lucky. Uh, the past four or the our first four seasons as part as Mariners, we've been top two twice. We've been top, uh, and then we were third place last year. So um, this is our fourth year. So we've been top two, three, and now it's time for us to uh, get that number one seed. And that's what we've been shooting for. I think we're we're hungrier than ever because we've seen what getting near that, you know, right at the top and then not being able to execute. So I think this year we're we're hungrier than ever because like you said, we're getting older. And with the expansion, the the amount of teams we have this year, and it's only gonna get a bigger next year. So so I think this is our year. Um for us to, to actually make it happen. Um, and, and like you said, the core of uh, the uh, White Sox, they're pretty young. They're, I think they're one of the, the teams of the future, um, you would say, because last year's when they, you've seen how they battled. Every, every, every team they, they faced, they battled to the end. And, um, and, and that's what, what our league is, is getting up to. It's like the teams that are coming in, they have that first year where they're like, oh, this is how things are done. And and then um, you know Sunday ball is a, a little bit different than than regular weekdays because you kind of set your 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 time apart for that. But Sundays, you know, it's like um, uh, people are are getting to know how what that atmosphere is like and the environment. It's it's gonna be it's gonna keep getting getting tougher for for the teams, the older teams. So yeah, those young bucks are coming through, and so this is our year, I think. Um, to make it happen. I like the confidence. We should mention the Padres too have had no problem competing in their first year. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your roster? One thing that everybody knows who has played against you is the Mariners are always going to hit. Always had a great lineup. The thing that's been in the way of getting over the hump has been maybe pitching depth. I know that you guys have Devin, but What's the lineup look like this year and kind of what's been the pitching plan that's allowed you to get to a place where you're competing for those 
top two spots, which bring with it the bye. Yeah, um, our our pitching has been has been our our, our weakest. Uh, I wouldn't say weakest, but it's been the part where we need more improvement. Um, Devin, he's a workhorse, man. He's um he uh he wants the ball every every game, but um as a manager, it's it's my I would say my job to say, hey, we we're gonna have to you know, um, hold you back just so you can be fresh for the playoffs. And um, like it happened on, on Sunday, last Sunday, we lost that game because we were trying to to save his arm for for the playoffs. And it turns out uh, our next pitchers didn't have it. And um, and then when it comes to to our, our pitching roster, we've had some experimenting and we've had some some new pitchers coming in, but, but then again, the consistency of throwing strikes is not there. Um, I think people take for granted the amount of, of, um, of, I would say discipline it takes to throw strikes consistently. And, um, and that's what we've been missing. Other, other than Devin, we haven't had that consistency. We may have to keep experiencing with, experimenting with with different pitchers maybe i have to uh throw a couple of innings next week because we have a couple of pitchers a couple of um uh, college pitchers that i know when when the um playoffs start they're gonna have to head back to um jrcc and and davenport so um that's been our our area of most improvement who's swinging the bat well uh devin He's been swinging the bat very well. And my brother Landy, he's he's been uh, he's been a, a very a very good surprise. Um, he's been hitting uh, on the two spot for I would say eighty um, percent of the season now. Um, the first couple of games he started uh, batting sixth, seventh, and he's been he's been our lucky charm. I would say. Because he's he gets on base, um, he either gets hit or gets a hit, or people just come forward. Since he's a bigger kid, they think, you know, oh, it's a ground ball. I I can get him easily. But he hustles, and and he's been getting on base for us, and and he's been our, our biggest surprise. Um, and our our leadoff guy, a new player to the league, Ronnie. Dominguez, he's been, um, he's been just turning turn the cover of the ball, um, and and that that's been our 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 strongest our strongest core the one two three, and and then Devin at four. That's been our our I, I think that's what's gotten us this far. There's precious few opportunities to rest in that lineup. And when you're playing against someone that's so strong, like one through six, no matter what, like once you get runners on base, uh, it, it's really stressful and you guys don't give away at bats. You guys have one of the better approaches, I think, of anybody in the league. And I see that as someone who pitches. You guys probably have the best approach against me. Uh, don't give the secret away, please. But I understand what you're trying to do. Uh, and we're always tinkering and adjusting and trying to work against uh, ten- tendencies and things like that. Yeah. It's a delicate dance. You mentioned the game on Sunday. And I got to say, I appreciate you coming in after a hard loss, a big loss. 
you guys were playing the A's enormous one and you said you had the lead and then it was some bullpen troubles some free passes to end that one and the A's get a victory and win five to four how do you rebound from something like that because all your goals are still ahead of you if you win out you can still get that by yeah and that's um that's what we're we're shooting for we have uh next week we have the pirates and then after that uh we have the tigers so it, it kind of um, it brought us back to reality, losing um, against the A's on Sunday. So I think we're, we're going to be a, a bit more focused against um, the Pirates because seven and eighth inning, our defense kind of uh, lacks a little bit. And it's like, oh, we got this in the bag, you know. And, um, and I think it, it kind of gave us a, a bit of that reality check and say, hey, you're never you're never out of the woods when it comes to when you face a good team and in baseball because um the the team you expect is gonna you're gonna run through and then walk all over their their lineup um just may just have a different approach and take the pitches that you were thinking they're gonna swing at and then next thing you know your the bases are loaded so um that's exactly what happened on on sunday um two outs we're thinking, okay, we got this in the bag. And next thing we know, bases are loaded. And um, three runs are, uh, you know, score against us. So um, it's, um, I think it brought us back to reality. And, and on Sunday, we're going to have a, a refocused uh, approach. And that, that's, that's how we plan on, on bouncing back. Um, just that, that focus needs to be there the whole game. Well, I think what it shows is that the top four teams maybe if you maybe five can play with anybody. I think that this year is a little bit mm-hmm. different and there's no juggernaut. Uh, I yep, think the A's have come back to the pack a little bit. I thought that the A's were the most talented team every year. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean that they were going to win it. I think that the Cubs have been up there too, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's obviously tighter. We'll get to the standings in a minute elsewhere in the international league. We beat the Royals 18 to three. There's not a lot. We can take away from that one. My stuff was really good. I will say that it was nice to get back on the mound again. And we hit the ball and we played pretty good baseball. But again, when you're playing one of these lower tier teams, you can't really take these big observations away. I will say the thing for the Cubs is we're still a little bit sloppy. Our defense uh, still gives away outs. There are some base running mistakes. We're not playing up to potential And this happens in a long season, but I think that we can get there. The Cardinals take care of business by beating the Tigers 16 to one. The power stay hot. The power are six and eight uh, with an outside chance to make the playoffs by beating the Pirates. The Padres in a huge one beat the White Sox 11 to five to stay a game behind us and competing for those. The Marlins got a much needed win by beating the Braves eight to four, which really hurts the Braves chances. What of those scores yeah. stand out to you? Oh, the, um, uh, the Padres, um, the Padres beating out the White Sox. That's, um, that's one of those games where, where you, you're not surprised because in baseball, it's, it's kind of hard to, like you said, the top five, six teams, they're, they're all right there. They can just compete um, against each other, but it, it, it it's when you see the way the White Sox have been playing, you expect a, a, a different score um, because, you know, the, the way they've been playing against um, 
uh, the other teams. But um, yeah, it's going to come down to the wire. Um, the the Braves actually uh, surprised me too, um, losing against the um, the Marlins. So I, I I was thinking the Braves were going to be right up there with us. Um, you know, top top uh, the top of the uh, the um, leaderboards, but um, it's uh, that's baseball. It's um, uh, you know, you could be hot three games and uh, three wins in a row, and then you face a team that that everyone expects you to beat, and that happens. Um, I think three of our four losses have been against teams back in the beginning that were under five hundred. And uh, so we lost against the White Sox. We lost against um, the uh, uh, the Royals, which no one expected us to lose against the Royals. So um, yeah, it's uh, when it comes to baseball, it's hard to be surprised. But um, yeah, those those two, um, I was expecting a different um, a different outcome. Yeah, two ways of looking at that. We have been kind of bad against the top competition, which is the competition mm-hmm. we have to play in the playoffs and taking care of business when we should. And you guys have kind of dropped some games against teams that you shouldn't have dropped, but then also performed mm-hmm. really well when you're playing head-to-head. So, you know, we're both going to yeah. go in and, you know, you can spin that positively or negatively depending on your mood that day. Yeah. Speaking of those, speaking of those standings, let's let's go through them right now. The Cardinals are atop the East at 11-3. and three. The Mariners... You guys are 10 and four, a game behind tied with the A's and the power. Like I mentioned before, are making a run at six and eight over in the West. We're at top 11 and three. The Padres are 10 and four this Sunday Cubs Padres, 10 AM at Sullivan, essentially for the, we beat them by more than three runs. I believe that clinches things. It could happen. We got revenge on our mind. I'm very excited for it. It's great that the playoffs have felt like they've kind of been all year with this new format. It's it's been a great addition for the league. The White Sox at eight and six are currently the sixth team in the playoffs, but they have a tough schedule down the stretch. They have to play us. I know. And if the power, the power also have a tough schedule, but there's a chance that either the power or Braves, if they win out, they can get in there. But it kind of seems like right now we know the six teams and I have to say that feels about right like that seems to be the best six teams the teams with the most talent and the teams that have been the most consistent is that your feeling too yeah it is um and going back to um the Padres uh record you said 10 and 4 for them oh wow see that yeah that that surprises me I was expecting the White Sox to be that 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 record, I was expecting it to be flip flop, and um, but the Padres they've been hot the last um, the last uh, five games, so so I can see how how that uh, that may have happened, and um, and yeah, it's gonna be between um, the Braves and and Padres, uh, Padres, I'm sorry, the White Sox, for for that uh, that sixth team, and um, yeah, we all expected the Cardinals, the A's, the Cubs. And the Mariners should be right up there, um, but those uh, those other two teams, it's going to be uh, interesting how how it's going to come down the shoot because um, Padres and White Sox um, are pretty even, and when it comes to to what I think they they possess their 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 skill, and then the Braves they just need to 
their players just need to show up. Um, I think that's been their their biggest problem. Um, some of their their core um, is missing the players they need to in order to to compete every week. So if the season ended today and it doesn't, here's what the playoffs would be. The 3-6 game would be Mariners-White Sox, and the 4-5 game would be Padres-A's. And I got to say, that's scary. Like, that, yeah. that could be a single elimination game, nine innings. Any of those four teams can advance, and it's going to be super fun. So it's been this eyes-on-the-prize thing about getting those two buys because they're yeah. sacred, you know? It's like yeah. it's been yeah. all about that. But as we go into the playoffs – I don't know who I would say is the favorite right now. I, I really don't. Yeah. Like, I I would always want to say it's the Cubs, and I think that based on our pitching, I feel confident that we're not going to get blown mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? Like, we have yep, yep. options to go to, but also the A's have been playing a lot better of lately, uh, and they have yeah. the pedigree. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Padres made a run too, because they have a legitimate ace. And I have to say, it's been more fun for me this year to kind of look at those scenarios as opposed to previous years where it's like, okay, I think that we, if we take care of business, if it's a best of three in the semifinals, we know that we're better than that team and we should be in the finals. It's made the whole experience every Sunday feel heightened and, and more fun. And I think it's really the biggest thing that shows me that the league is growing because the margin for error is really small. And I would mm-hmm. rather play a six to five game and lose than win 17 to two. Like, that's just me. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm fine. Yeah. Losing oh, until oh, I'm out there getting out playing good. Definitely. Baseball. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the, that's been the difference this year where the games have been a lot tighter. Um, I think the competition um, level has has risen in in a good way because even the teams that were way at the bottom are are kind of getting to to know the players and and they're adding the players they need to just so they can say hey, I want to be competitive I don't want to be that team that gets blown out every week week in and week out um, so yeah it's um it, it's going to be interesting when um when that time comes and and we got to face each other like the top the top two teams and and see who shows up because you know having families and and having uh, family um events going on it uh and holidays that kind of brings a bit of a uh, that extra that extra um how do you uncertainty yeah uncertainty of Hey, who's gonna show up today? Is their main pitcher gonna? Is he gonna be there? Is their their number three hitter gonna be there? Their center fielder, you know. So it's um that's the part that every Sunday it's like, who's there? You know, count their guys. <laughs> you show you do show up and you start taking mental inventory. And for me, it's usually yeah. the big thing about all right, who's going to warm up? It could go one of two ways. You know, like when you play yeah. the Cardinals, if you're gonna get the guy who throws ninety, or if the Braves pitcher from hope is there. It's like, Oh, well that totally changes thing. We might not be the favorite in this one. I've asked every guest of this podcast that's come on very basic, simple question of what they like about playing in this league. And I know that you have a long history with it playing back when it was the Hispanic league, what has stayed the same in terms of your enjoyment 
and what's changed and is it been fun to kind of evolve as the league evolves is kind of like it's more popular front-facing players i would say oh yeah definitely it has yeah it has evolved um to um from players not even wearing their their jerseys um to not even wearing a hat out on the field but um the organization has i, I gotta give props to have you because um I know it's not easy. Just just running a team is is an easy, um, and then he has to run the whole league, and, and so that time um, I got to give him props for that and, and for keeping um, the consistency of each Sunday having a game, um, especially with with the you know the parks not being available this week, but then next week they are. Um, but um, what I what I like the most is the fact that we play nine innings. Um, it. it it's it's a bit more challenging to to keep a pitcher in for seven innings. Now, if you say nine, it's like whoa, you know. Now we got to work around and then find um and find that that second pitcher or third pitcher. When I hear nine innings, I'm like all right, that that gives me enough enough innings to get out of, out of my system for, for a week. Um, so that's, that's what I like the most. The fact that we get to play nine innings, seven inning games go way too fast sometimes. You know, I completely agree. And I think it's something that's kind of underappreciated. I think that it means that the better team wins more often, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is really good. And there's that stamina level too, right? Like, there's an argument to be made that it'd be nice to play a, a seven inning game that ended in two hours and 15 minutes. But I think something about baseball is like, it's a slow game. Like if you're not pitching, if you're not catching, you're not involved in every play, the challenge is keeping your mind right. And I think it starts yeah. to break down after an hour and a half, you know, even if you love the game as much as we do, you start being like, all right, what time is it? What do I got to do later? Yeah. Today? But I think that the people who are able to like push through that and still be able to perform, I still get nervous out there. Like if it's not the playoffs, I'm not going to like get super, you know, like antsy and and Uh really worried about it. But there's still that like fear that comes in. I think being able to channel that is really great because I think a lot of people don't want to admit that they get nervous out there and and, and the pressure gets to them. It doesn't mean that you're going to perform badly. It just lets you know that you're invested. And I think being able to tap into that, the nine inning gaming game helps a lot because there's more opportunities for it. But I think it's something that you just is not replicable in any way. in our every, I agree, like to get out there and just like, get it all out of our system, I think was such a smart thing that you said, because that's basically how I treat it. Like that's my therapy for the week. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And, and the mental, the mental, Part of it comes into play so much when it comes to a nine inning game, and um, and and also it's taking care of or knowing that hey, I'm I'm going to be nervous when I go up there. I uh, back when I was playing college ball, my uh, one of my coaches said, "Use that, use that up to your advantage because you know it's a big spot, and um, and just do your breathing, and." And I started doing that breathing and, and thinking of it that way. And what I also read is your, the way you're, you 
you see things or the outcome of things, it has a play in, in how you perform. And so I started thinking, you know what? When I'm nervous, I actually perform better because it, it makes me focus a bit more. Um, not that it works every time because baseball, you know, it's baseball. Um, you can square up a ball and think, you know what, that's a double. And it could be right at someone, straight at someone's hands. So, so um, I, I started thinking of it that way. You know what? I perform better when I feel that, that, that rush of, oh, man, I'm, I'm nervous. I got I to gotta come, I get, get, my, get my mind right and just focus. And and it's, it it worked for me, and so that's what I share with with my uh, with my players. If you're nervous, that's a good thing. Use it, you know. Focus a bit a bit more. Well, we got a lot of opportunities coming up over the next month and a half to yeah. be nervous. I know you're going to be there. Uh, I'd love to see you guys again in the playoffs. Like it's it's become an annual tradition. Um, you know, ultimate respect to you. I appreciate you joining me. I think, you know, and just on, on a personal note, as, as we close here, I think that you in a way were kind of like my introduction to the league in a lot of ways, because I knew the Cubs, right. And I mm-hmm. it was my team and I played a few games with them. And then I kind of remember that first game we played against you all. And it was just like, oh, okay, we know everybody over there. And it was just like, mm-hmm. okay, well, even if it's the other team, like you don't see the other team as an enemy, like you would when you were playing really competitive baseball, it's just like, they're your friends in some way. It's Mm -hmm. just like, you need to take care of business for these three hours. And then there'll be plenty of time for like fun and some beers and some laughs afterwards. But I think that that element of like the mutual respect is really nice too, because it's, you know, we're adults going out there playing the thing that we love. Like that's the only way to treat it. Like it's, you get more like, jerks i think in like slow pitch softball because people are hanging on to something but i think yeah and on your late 30s you have to at least on some level be like a kind of cool dude and like get it to the point where you're not going to like ruin it for everybody else yeah and that's um that's something i wanted to um to speak about is is the amount of respect that that the teams have or have developed for each other because of of the, the so many so many years we've been playing against each other and that's something I really want the new guys and the new teams that come in to see that because um, two, three years ago, that respect was not visible. Um, you saw the arguing with the umpires. You saw the the arguing with with each other with the um, with the other uh, the other teams. And it's been something that's been um, I think there's been a, a culture change where their respect is, is a bit, uh, you, it's showing a bit more. And, and that's something that I need to, to bring out there because I think this should be, it should be more respect, but the way it's, it's been, it's evolved from in the last couple of years, I, I really enjoy it because um, when it comes to baseball, I think there's, there's a respect that needs to be shown in on the field and and to the players uh, as well. So um, I want to thank you for for bringing me on and um, just giving me a, a chance to talk about my team and and talk about what I what I see in the league and how I think the league is is growing. Um, so I appreciate that and keep up the good work. This this podcast is something that that we need for the league 
and for the players. Um, more players need to be involved and more players need to know about this podcast because um, it, it really shows that we're more than just a, a group of guys getting together and playing ball. Um, it shows that we're more of a family because those days, Sundays, you know, they're, they're, they're meant for families to, to share their, their day off from work and, and whatnot. And taking our families to, to the ball game, to the, to the park and, and, and to see these ball games, it just brings us all together. And um, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. And I hope that it keeps growing so we have more families showing up. I appreciate you saying some of those things and it's, it's a great observation and I feel the same way. And it's, it's cool to hear, you know, there are moments where it's like, Oh, it's, this is silly. Like, why am I doing this? And that's kind of pushed to the side when I realized what there's 200 players in the league. Right. And it's just a city I care about and it's a sport I care about. And it's really been a blessing in my life to like be able to discover this and, and interact with it this way. So like, this league means a lot to a lot of people and a lot of families and, you know, we yeah. get more interest in it and a lot and, and grow it. That's great. But as it is, it's, it's kind of perfect and I have the opportunity to do it. So, so why not lend this platform to everybody? And then hopefully it's uh, many years. Um, it continues many years into the future. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc